Last week, we looked at the story of Abraham in the Bible, where he's about to offer his son as a sacrifice. And because we're so religious, we never stop to go and say, Abraham is offering his son as a sacrifice. That is crazy. <laughs> That's what in, psych, in, psycho, in psychology, we would call that psychotic, that he heard a voice and now is acting out on it. But we acknowledged how crazy it was. We looked at how people back then, this was normal for them. Uh, they used to use sacrifice in their worship to God, and um, while that may have been normal for them, it's extremely foreign for us. When's the last time we've sacrificed anything here? Nothing, never. But we do have an altar. This altar actually is a remnant of that period. We still have that. So th that is the problem. You know, one of the things I am passionate about is Christianity is going like this. It's going shh. And you know why I, I think it is? I think it's the language. I think it's that we don't translate the Bible into a modern way. Uh, the Bible is something that we've kept, like everything is changing, but church and the Bible stays frozen in time. When in reality, what the Bible is, what Paul says, what Jesus was doing, was saying that the Bible is a living book. It's alive. One that's continually developing. We looked at how the Bible is more like a journal of spiritual development than it is a history book. One time at youth group, I, I had the kids, I said, can one of you bring in your math book from school? And they brought it in. And then I took my Bible and I said, what's the difference between the math book and the Bible? And they said, one is based on fact. <laughs> one is facts, indisputable fact. And I, and I said, what did you think the Bible is? It's not history. If it was history, we could absolutely verify everything. It's more like a journal. You know, if I write in my journal that I like Taylor Swift, or I like to play Minecraft, or I like to go to baseball games, that is my truth, right? That's true. But somebody else could come along and say, that's not true for me. The Bible is a spiritual journal. So we looked at the book of Hebrews uh, in the New Testament as an overview of this journal, of the, of the whole Old Testament, written to explain the shift in looking at God through the lens of what Jesus taught. And today's lectionary reading just happens to be from Hebrews chapter 9, where we left off. Now, who has read the whole Old Testament? I have to. It's hard to read, right? There's definitely, you could, every time somebody starts to read, they go like this, I'm going to read the Bible. And they get through Genesis, they get for a little long, then it gets to the laws and rituals. Then you get to like Chronicles, which is like 10 chapters of just, this guy had that son, he had that son, he had that, and you're like, is this going to keep going? Yes, it is. <laughs> Then there's a book of Numbers. Guess how fun that book is to read. 
So when you read the Old Testament, you're going to come across this book that is so foreign to you that you wonder, you go, is God in here somewhere? Maybe God put it in like, like you know, like when a, there's this funny comedian who says, when you put bacon bits or bacos on salad, all it becomes is you just trying to get the bacon out of the salad. <laughs> like, is the Bible like that, where you're just looking for little parts about God, or is the whole thing a, a God story? What the author of Hebrews wants us to see is how thousands of years ago, ritual and sacrifice, actual, all the laws, had actually been leading up to what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was an ancient Christian. No, an ancient Jewish person. And he grew up in Sunday school? No, in Hebrew school. Did they have a New Testament? No. So in his ministry, he was interpreting ancient stories. When Jesus went around and taught people about the Bible, he wasn't using the New Testament. We use the New Testament. He was using the Old Testament. And he was coming against the teachings he grew up with that he grew uh, when he was a kid that's why they got so mad at him they're like why don't you teach what we taught you and jesus said i have some new ideas and in hebrews chapter 9 so we're gonna we're gonna go to hebrews chapter 9 and continue this overview of the old testament but through the lens of jesus now paul writes this and i was saying i always say this don't check out at this moment. I'm going to read scripture to you. And we are Christians. The greatest tragedy of Christianity is that we don't know what Christianity is. (laughs) Because to know it, you'd have to read the Bible. So that's why you come to church. This is the most important part because I'm going to explain to you, because it's tricky to read, but this is what the Bible talks about. And it says this, Now, even the first covenant, the law, had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary. For a tent was constructed, the first one, and in it there was the lampstand, the table, and the bread of the presence. If I had communion right there, what would that look like? So in the first tent, when they would worship, and they would have things similar to what we had. This is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the Holy of Holies. So they, in their worship, they had three, three layers to it. So there was the outside uh, layer, then there was the inner sanctuary, so like Fletcher Hall, the church, and then the Holy of Holies. This would be, only the priests could go up there. And in it stood the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember the Ark? That in the Bible, they would carry it around. And that's how, they, before they had a, a temple, they used to carry God around <laughs> in the Ark. I think uh, Indiana Jones went looking for it one time, right? So in the Ark... They had, it was, uh, in the ark they had, it was, it was covered in gold, 
and inside of it was a golden urn holding the manna. Do you remember the manna that came down from, from God? So they would put that in there. And Aaron's rod that budded. Remember Aaron when he went out to cast the plagues out over? Uh, remember Moses didn't want to do it, so Aaron had to go with him and speak for him. So that rod, they had the manna, the rod, and the tablets of the covenant, the, the, the ten laws. So only the priests could go mess with that. <laughs> and above it, if you've seen pictures, were the cherubim of glory. You'll see two angels with overarching wings covering the mercy seat. And the author of Hebrews says, I'm not going to go into all the detail of it right now. I just gave you a little detail. Um, but I'm not going to go into all of it. Um, but when you read the Old Testament, you would read about all these things that were in the tent where they worshipped in what would eventually become the temple. Remember David wanted to build a house? He's like, God's in a tent. I want to build him a house. So, and he didn't even get to, but it was Solomon who built him a temple. Uh, and that was their church. That was their church uh, building. And the, the, these things inside of it would, when you would come into church, they would represent all the things that God had done for, for the people of Israel. And we do the same thing now. We have the cross. We have the baptismal. We have communion. You know, we used to have it every week. <laughs> and all of these things remind us of what Jesus taught. They're not here for show. <laughs> and so even when we read the Old Testament as Christians, what we can see is important is this. And it says it in verse 9, and you're going to say, Sean, that's what you always say. Listen to this. Everything in the Old Testament, all of the things that I just described, are symbols. That word symbol can also be translated to parable. That the Old Testament stories and forms of worship were maybe more symbolic than they were exactly historical. I think, Jackie, you asked me about, or, or Jean, about people who lived 900 years in the Bible. It's symbolic. It's not, uh, it's not supposed to be exact. So when you read the Old Testament, your mind should go like this. Even the story of Abraham. Is this a parable? Because if it's real, mm, this is crazy. <laughs> Maybe it's a parable. It's a symbol. In the present time, for the, it says everything in the Old Testament is now a symbol. What the, what the author here, he's writing to uh, people who lived in, during Jesus' time. He's saying that everything was a symbol, a parable for the present time. Now, you and I read that and we go, the present time, 2021. But the present time in the Bible is 2,000 years ago. We can't, get, uh, we can't translate that as for 2021. They didn't even know that we would exist. I bet they would say, is this a church? Oh, why is it not in the temple or the synagogue? Remember in the early church where they would meet? In the temple. <laughs> the Christians. The, the people who followed Jesus. And the synagogues. So the present time for the, for the explanation of these symbols 
of the Old Testament is 2,000 years ago. So you and I, here's this, you might like this. You don't even have to read the Old Testament because all you'd have to do is read Hebrews because he's summing up what the whole Old Testament meant for Christians, that it was a parable for the present time in which Jesus lived. The way the people back then understood God was was as being holy, as being clean, pure, and perfect, as being you could not approach him. That's what Moses said, I want to see you, God. And God said, you can't even see me. Remember, he said, take off your shoes, even in my presence. But if you even touched the ark, they used to hold the ark with two poles, because if you touched it, you would die. That's what they believed. Later, other people looted and pillaged the temple, took the ark and everything. Did they die? Pompeii didn't die. This was what they believed. So they believe God was so unapproachable because nobody is perfect, nobody's clean, nobody's holy, nobody's pure. The way they believed God would accept them was by cleansing themselves in blood. They believed in blood atonement. In verse uh, 9, of, in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18, it says this, and again, it sounds crazy and foreign to us, but we must remember these people lived a long time ago. Here's what it says. Hence, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. You don't read this to your kids at night, okay? Every commandment had been told to all the people by Moses in accordance with the law. And he took the blood of calves. So they took some goats and calves, killed them. Good thing we don't have this in the service, right? And then uh, he put some water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and then he sprinkled it. Imagine I did that and then shot it out at you. Got some on Ellie, everything. Because this is how they cleanse things. So, and what do we say during communion? This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. That's a quote from the Old Testament. That... That ritual is a way of ordaining all of us so God can come in our presence. And so in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship, indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus and the first Jewish Christians they grew up as Jewish people in this tradition that they inherited. That in order to be made right with God, you had to offer up sacrifices to make up for your wrongs. That was how it worked. This was way, a way of making you see the punishment or for your failure to live up to God's covenant. Something had to die in your place. Did you know this about your faith? It's always interesting because when I explain this, to, you could just see uh, a modern person saying, oh, I've never heard of Christianity. Can you explain it to me? And I'd have to go through this in detail. And they're like, wow, that's the blood. And you guys use a lot of blood. And you talk a lot about blood. But this is how they thought. 
When Moses met the angel of God, remember, he never saw God face to face. He only could understand God through the eyes of somebody who lived 4,000 years ago. Back then, rituals and sacrifices like this, when I went to Israel, there was altars everywhere. And there was, you could clearly see how in the center of their worship, that was where they would put the the cow or the calf or the goat and kill it. As modern readers of these stories, we should think about this. Why did God relate to the people in such primitive ways? You know, I look at my newborn son, and he's just sleeping and eating all the time. And I say to him, man, you're living the life. (laughs) I wish I could do that. He has no idea of who I even am. In psychology classes at school, I'm learning about human development. And how babies, when they're born, they don't even know that they're another person. Did you know that? They still think that they're connected to the mom. They still think that they are the mom. And the mom is them. He doesn't know he's out of the womb yet. He's still wrapping his head around that. Uh, And my little son has no concept of himself yet. He's going to go through life and learn that he's his own person, but that will require many, many stages, many ages, and many experiences. You know when a kid meets another kid and then they hide behind the mother's leg? They run, they, they go over and then they run back? It's because they're learning to be independent from her. He takes a couple steps away, then he moves back, Then when he sees that's okay, he ventures out a little further, and then he looks back. You're still there? Okay, I can keep going. He has to step out and test the waters. Eventually, he learns, and then the kids forget about you, right? (laughs) But this is how we develop. It takes time. No steps are skipped. So it is with the Bible. It's a progression towards understanding God. We started out with rituals and sacrifices. Are we going to skip that? No, we have, to, we have to move step by step. Now watch this. What Jesus does is he helps humanity get to the next stage in their spiritual development. And to do so, he's going to teach the people of, of his day that they had to move away from a primitive understanding of God, away from the constant need to sacrifice animals. Solomon said in one day he sacrificed 10,000 animals. (laughs) He wanted to move them away from this idea that you needed constant sacrifices to come in the presence of God. And the story of the Old Testament is a developing story. Do you know in one of the books of the Old Testament, in Hosea, it says this, I want you to show love not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than just burnt offerings. Did they stop with the burnt offerings? Did they stop sacrificing? No. But the idea is there. Don't you sometimes wish you'd go back to being a kid? Back to the days when you didn't have all this responsibility? That would be a regression. (laughs) Jesus is taking us forward not backwards. 
What the Bible offers us is a story of how human beings are going to go from an archaic and primitive view of God to one that makes a little more sense. For the people back then, they needed continuity in this progression, and what Jesus' story offers us is a way for that to happen. In the next passage of the scripture, remember we're in the book of Hebrews, the author of the passage is saying, at first there was a tent where we made sacrifices and sprayed blood on everything to cleanse it, so we could purify ourselves from our sins to enter the presence of God, but that the past stories were just symbolic of a new story that had been developing in human history. So the next part of scripture begins in verse 23, and it says this, Thus it was necessary for the sketches of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but heavenly sacrifices need better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. What does this mean? And you may have never been taught about that this, uh, this before, but you've heard it. Jesus died for our sins, and I have to believe in him to get into heaven. You need the blood. You know why they call it Passover? Because in Exodus, when, the Pas- when, when God came and killed everybody, they said, go put blood outside your door. And if you do that, the angel will go over your door, and then you won't die. And so in their thinking, how can we make Jesus fit into that story? Oh, the will be covered in his blood and he'll put blood on us and then God's wrath will pass over us. See, that's the whole thought behind this. But 2,000 years ago is not the end of the story. That's not the whole picture anymore than when Moses presented the Ten Commandments. They said at that time, this is the end of the story. When Jesus came, they said that too. This is the end of the story. With Jesus, we'll see the progression from Moses to something new, a progression in the story for the Hebrew people, how they could understand sacrifice would no longer be needed. No longer would we need that system, but we're going to move away from that system and into another. And they used the language they had around God the language of sacrifice for sin to construct a new story. This was their vocabulary. This was their vernacular. 2,000 years ago, this would be a huge step forward, stepping away from the law, stepping away from the old covenant as one steps away from the mother as a child to test the waters and move out into a new understanding of God. This is why we believe what we believe today. Have you ever sang that song? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood. Don't picture that. (laughs) But here, and here's a huge but, but the story must not end here. This was how they understood God. And I think religious people have this tendency to get stuck in the past. 
I personally don't want to believe in a God who requires his son to be murdered in my place. I don't want to think about bathing in Christ's blood for the forgiveness of my sins. And while we've sung these songs to nice melodies, I don't think the language they used and the worldview they had is how we need to translate the story in a modern day. If the Bible is a spiritual journal of the development of God rather than a history book, which I believe it is, then even the story of Christ speaks something more than history. I believe it tells the story of how the Jewish religion evolved and how Jesus came was their change agent. He was the embodiment of what all the prophets had been saying for a long time, that the story is progressing, that the story is evolving, that the idea of a God as a bloodthirsty and angry divine being up in the clouds is not the full picture. Some people still think like that about God. It was an inherited idea of God that slowly transformed over a millennia. To stop believing that the image can get clearer would be a tragedy. For me, Jesus represents exactly what the book of Hebrews says. It was the end of an age. What Jesus established was the church and the job of the church today, the job of Christianity, is not to stay stuck in old theological frameworks, but rather to continue the story. That Jesus died on the cross and was raised to life is a parable, a symbolic representation of what happens when we let old ideas die. It makes room for new ones. And I've found a lot of freedom in this. Jesus' sacrifice represents the slate being cleared. It represents being spiritual but not religious. You don't have to be religious to be spiritual. And I know many religious people who are not spiritual. You don't have to be religious to be a good person. And I know many people who have claimed to be religious, but we're pretty bad people. What you do need to believe, in my opinion, is what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 8, where he says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, Paul says, put that into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know if you've ever been to an AA meeting, but this is a place where they practice this, where they find a higher power and believe that whatever it is, that it is the ultimate truth, that it is noble, that it is right, that it is pure, that it is lovely, that it is admirable, and to set your eyes on these types of things. Worship these things. Focus on these things. Live out these things. Teach your kids these things. Not old theology. For me, I see Jesus as the embodiment of these things rather than just another guy asking you to sign up for another religion. This is what has been changing me. Jesus is the way he lived. That's what's cleansing me. Not the old way of thinking of blood pouring on me and covering my sin.
He is calling me and you to be just like him, to be noble, to be true, to be honest, to be good, to be admirable, to be lovely, to be right. When I read the Bible as a modern person, I read it as a story that has developed over thousands of years. I don't get stuck in old dogma and doctrine. And the story lives on today. It continues to develop as long as I keep my eyes on the one who calls me to higher things in heavenly places here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Amen.